What up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Architects, where we speak to the architects of art. Leaders of creative industries that shift culture and challenge the way we think and feel about the world around us. I'm Taj Krishlow. Today's guest is a rising star in the film world. She was born in New Jersey and raised in Brooklyn by her immigrant Indian family. She grew up being influenced by Bollywood films and her late grandfather, who was an aspiring filmmaker himself. This trailblazer is paving a new path for BIPOC creatives as a photographer and director. After graduating college, she got a break at Complex Magazine and quickly found success producing and directing a short film documentary for pop sensation Billie Eilish. 2020 was a breakout year for her. She directed a video for Megan Thee Stallion's New York Times op-ed titled Protecting Women of Color. She also recently joined forces with Hennessy and Nas for a branded short film called Dare Destiny. Please join me and Dean Rosen for an enlightening conversation with my friend, Kajal. Home is home, Brooklyn. So were you born, sorry, sorry, unless I missed it. Were you born in Brooklyn or were you born in Jersey? So, okay, funny story, ready? Okay, so my parents, I I grew up with my grandparents and my uncle for the first like six to seven years of my life. But I was born in Jersey. My dad was an overnight security guard at a hospital in New Jersey. And that's where my mom had me at that hospital. Wow. Um, Yes. So I don't know why my parents decided to have me in that specific hospital. (laughs) Um, Maybe (laughs) because my dad worked there, but they had me in the hospital. And then at that time, my parents moved to Jersey, but they couldn't take care of me because of the whole immigrant thing. And they were working mad hard. And, you know, it, it is what it is. And they dropped me off to my grandparents' house when I was a month old in Brooklyn. And I grew up with my grandparents um, out in Brooklyn until I was like six. And then from there, it was every week, every Sunday night, my uncle would drop me off to Jersey. I would do my schooling there Monday to Friday. And then my like parents of my uncle would drop me back off. My parents would drop me off. My uncle would pick me up and I would live in Brooklyn on the weekends from like Friday to Sunday night or Monday morning. So it was Mm. like a commute constantly back and forth. And then I'd spend my summers in Brooklyn. I'd spend like my holidays in Brooklyn and every day off I would spend in Brooklyn. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a lot. (laughs) I feel like that's why as a human being now, I constantly have to be moving. And if I'm not moving, I start to get anxious and I'm like, what's happening? Because I was like built that way since birth so yeah and talking about your parents now i understand you know you're indian and Mm -hmm. so where where from india are your parents from specifically so my parents my dad and my mom are actually from the same state in india it's called gujarat it's in the northern part of india but they actually met here in new york my mom wow yeah so my mom I don't know if you really want to hear this, but my parents' immigration story is kind of cool. And I've been learning about it more and more just because I think that obviously it's connected me to my roots a lot. So my grandmother is from Uganda and India. And my grandfather is like from India on my mom's side. And they're the grandparents I grew up with. My mother, her sister and her brother came to America before their parents even did. So they were like shipped over to America when I think my mom was like 13 and her siblings were younger than her. And then they spent like a couple years here by themselves with their uncle before my parents, my grandparents got like a visa to be able to come to America. So mm. my mom was like 13 and she was like working at McDonald's like while trying to go to school here. So that was like her story. And then my dad was the same way. My dad and my and his brother came to America um, when they were around like 17. Right. And they, they were working here as well. Like they would work at like, the bodega down the street, you know, and my dad would be like, we were working for like 16 hours every single day, sleeping on a floor, like paying rent to sleep on the kitchen floor of some lady's house da, 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 and then sending the rest of the money back to India. So like their family in India could like, you know, not thrive, but like try to survive. Right. And then my parents, my mom was working as a manager at McDonald's in Times Square. 
Um, and my dad was working at a newsstand in Times Square. And my mom said that she would oftentimes like see my dad working in that newsstand. And like she would pass him by. And one day she worked up the nerve to go up to him. But my mom was a liar because she went up to him and she was like, I'm lost. I don't know how to get home. <laughs> <laughs> Damn's on distress. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like she didn't know how to get home because she was taking that route home for the past four years. And she was right. like, that's how I got to talk to him. And when they ended up like starting to talk to each other, they learned that they were living in the same building in Brooklyn, but like a couple wow. floors away from each other. Um, why aren't we? Then, why aren't we shooting this movie, Kajal? Like, yeah. talk to me. Yeah. Like, Listen, up. one day I think I need to because it just gets crazier. It's like then my my mom and my dad weren't from the same cast in like India. Like my right. mom's of a higher cast than my dad is, and mm. my grandfather, like the one I grew up with, I call him Dada. Like he wouldn't let my mom marry my dad. So my mom and my dad like ran away and got married. And then they told wow. my grandparents that they were like, they ran away to Florida. Meanwhile, they were living like a couple floors above them in their friend's apartment, like, and like trying every route to avoid my grandparents so they wouldn't see them. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Like my grandpa was like, finally like, just come home. Cause my grandmother was crying every single day, like trying to get her daughter back home. And then my he like, accepted it da, da, da. but it was it was a crazy story my grandpa was standing there with a gun when my dad like married my mom and they came to the house <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so have you, seen the show, have you seen the show little america yes i have sounds like some season two material <laughs> <laughs> don't steal it real life story here <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's incredible and it's always important to know to know this stuff because it's all a part of your DNA. It's all a part of your story, knowing where your yeah. parents came from and hearing that and what they've been through. Um, this is like, this is like a love, you know, this is the love immigrant story <laughs> mm -hmm. um, of your parents. And it's just wild um, how they connected, how they crossed paths and the fact that everything kind of was all interconnected. And then even from the hospital that you were born in, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of crazy. I don't believe anything. I don't believe in chance. I believe everything is destined and 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 kind of put out there in the universe. And we just kind of like cross those those moments when it's time to cross those moments in time. And um, that's some magical shit. And mm -hmm. I guess my question to you is um, coming from a, you know, an Indian background, parents that are, you know, hardworking immigrants that literally started from the bottom and, and and broke and broke ground and did what they have to do to support to support you and family. Um, how, like, how was your upbringing? Were they strict? Were they supportive? Like, yeah. can you speak to that? So my upbringing was a little un unconventional, even like compared to my own siblings. Um, right. My parents, like I mentioned, like my mom, she got to go to college, but she only got like her associate's degree, and my dad dropped out in middle school. You know, like, so the education there, when it came to their children, which is like myself and my older siblings, I have two older siblings, we all, were all raised so differently from each other because my parents were just trying to like make ends meet. You know what I mean? Like my sister is the oldest and she was, she was taken care of by my parents the most out of like all three of us. Then my brother was actually shipped off to India for a while. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then he was brought back to America and he had this like, he was brought back to America when he was starting kindergarten and he had this entire like hard, like entirely hard time, like readjusting to American culture. You know, he was doing crazy shit where like my, my dad would smack the shit out of him because he was like, no, you cannot just take your pants off in the middle of class because you have to go into the bathroom. Like, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. He was like, you got to wait, like you got to raise your hand. And then when it came to me, I think like, thankfully the way that I was raised, which was with my grandparents, and my uncle, um, I had a lot of love from them, you know, and I was like, I have such a close relationship with my grandfather. He passed away like two or three years ago, but like, I really regard my grandfather as my dad. Like he put so much love into me and so did my grandmother and my uncle, but the education was super important, like all, all across, you know, mm -hmm. like everybody wanted us to like go to school. They like, they needed us. It wasn't even they wanted, they needed us to get a college degree. Like it didn't matter that are what we were trying to do. But the same thing, Taj, that you mentioned about your family, you know, I think that's an immigrant thing, especially like people of color, like immigrants, you know, like brown and black immigrants, like they wanted me to be a doctor, an engineer, like a dentist, you know? And I was like, right. if you try 
to have me be a dentist or like have me cut somebody open i'm gonna kill them before i save them because i don't know <laughs> shit about science i don't know shit about math like i'm not good at this stuff like you know what i mean and they were like but how like you're indian like you know this shit is in our dna like you have to be good at it and <laughs> um you know i am good at math but not like physics not like all that shit like and i was never interested in it so for me personally i think I told you the story, Taj, but like my grandfather was an aspiring director, like in India, he wanted to be a director. And like you say that this stuff is not about chance. This stuff is like ingrained in my Mm -hmm. DNA. You know, my grandfather wanted to be a director. He left when I was 22. He told me a story. He was like, you know, when I was your age, when I was exactly 22 years old, I left my small village in India and I went to Mumbai, Bombay. And I studied underneath a black and white film director in Bollywood at the time. And I stayed there for six months. I was studying. I was learning. He was basically like his apprentice. And he said six months into it, my uh, brother called me and he was like, you're a poor man living a rich man's dream. Like you need to come back home. So he went back home. He gave up that dream. He became an engineer. He did what he had to do, you know, for his family at that time, like, I don't know, maybe it was like the 40s or something like that. Um, At that time, he was just trying to do what he had to do. But my mom and my dad to this day, I don't think they understand what I do. (laughs) Like, my mom is like, so you make videos for YouTube? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no concept (laughs) in her mind of like, what do you mean? Like, you make videos? Like, when are you gonna make a movie for the theaters? And I'm like, baby steps, (laughs) you know, like, you can't just do that right off the bat. Um, But my grandfather was like wildly supportive of my dreams. Like ever since I was a kid, he was constantly like telling me things while we would be watching movies. And at that time when I was like 10, 11 years old, I was like, can you stop talking? I'm just trying to watch this in peace. Like, you know, (laughs) but he was like discussing like camera techniques and angles and coloring and editing, you know, and blocking. Like he was telling me how a script comes together. So I was getting all of this education through him, through him just teaching me vocally, like while we were watching movies and Ever since I remember the first time somebody was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like a director, you know, and I think it's because my grandfather, like his dream was to be one and he never forced it on me. He was never like, you need to be a director. It was always like, I'm going to teach you what I know. And then you get to choose what you want to be. But my parents weren't aligned with that. My parents growing up, they were like, this is a hobby. Like, you can't do this. Like, you need to go to school. You need to like get a degree in science. You need to go save lives be a doctor, stick your hand in people's mouths, be a dentist, like do what you need to do to survive and to make money. Cause for them, the white picket fence dream, you know, the American dream was for me to like go to school, have this structure of making the six figure salary and being this, like being in this career that was going to give me security. Cause I think that's the one thing that they lacked is like having the security, you know, constantly having to work. And to this day, they don't understand what I do. I'm not sure if they're really proud of me or not. But I always say that, like, I have, I can't stop working until, like, my parents are fulfilled with what I'm going to do. And I don't think they're ever going to be fulfilled. Because for them, like, there's always this, like, running joke in the Indian community where it's like, oh, you got a 99%. Why didn't you get 100? They'd be like, did you forget to eat this morning? Like, you know, and I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, okay, so why did you forget to get that one extra point? So I think, like, for me... I'm going to want to do this for the rest of my life for two reasons. Like one is to like have my parents be like, oh, wow, like she's, we're proud of her. And like, it's very hard for Indian parents to say that they're proud of their kids, no matter what they do, you know what I mean? Like just super difficult to, to say that vocally. And then two, it's like, I want to work and make my grandfather proud. And I'm never going to know if I made him proud until I meet him again one day. You know what I mean? So it's just like the two reasons why I do what I do, but it's like my parent, my own parents, like not understanding what I'm doing and my own parents, like, um questioning me still to this day makes me be like okay this is a challenge like you know what I mean like I'm going to prove you wrong one day like and yeah I think that it's not that they don't support me it's I don't I think they don't know how to support me because they haven't they hadn't envisioned this life for their child yeah and it's it's funny you said that because I went through the same thing like um it's only up till like the last couple of years my mom was like oh I get it now because when I tell my mom I manage people, she goes, "Managing what?" <laughs> and, and 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 I make music videos and da 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 da. She's like, "Okay, great. Well, all right." It just it just it did not make sense. But I think the first time, it, you know, my breakthrough breakthrough moment is bringing my mother to our fir- my first movie premiere. Mm. 
mm-hmm. um, for a film that X did called Across the Line with Stefan James. It was a little indie film that we did before we did, before we went on to doing our first big studio film with Joe Silver for Superfly. Um, I remember her sitting next to me and seeing my name come on the credits. And I literally started tearing because um, you can see the joy in my mom's face. Like, yo, my son's, my son's a big time producer, <laughs> you know, that's my son right there. <laughs> so she was looking at me like, yo, now I get it. Like you make shit and you, you make movies and you make mm-hmm. things to go out to the world. And she sees that I got a house now. And you know what I mean? Like she's seeing the fact, she's seeing the, the hard work pay off. Yeah. And and I could just say this, I don't know your your parents and of course rest rest in power to your grandfather, but um for sure he would be absolutely proud for the incredible work um that you're creating on this planet oh. because um it's the reason why we got you in the show because you are truly an architect of art and you're an incredible visionary filmmaker and this is literally their DNA in your body. Yeah. Um and and when you're the first coming out of your family to do what we do, it's always going to be foreign to them. They're going to look yeah. at you like, what the fuck? What are you doing? <laughs> you're wasting your life away. What the, you know, like, you know, they're not going to understand. They're going to understand when you're standing on a podium thanking them. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we knew, we knew, we knew. We, <laughs> we got her there. That's why I worked at that stand, you know, because of that. I'm like, oh, wow. I, I don't remember that part in the, um, in the, uh, in the biography, but hey, you know what? Fine, take it. I'll take it. Um, but uh, no, it's 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 a thing, man. And I feel like as you continue evolving as a filmmaker, and they see the accolades coming, and the more growth that you have, they're gonna get it. But in this business, seeing is believing. Yeah. And and again, when they see, even though you're already doing incredible stuff, but when they see your name on a TV screen, which is now the new movie screen. <laughs> Um, and now theaters are slowly coming back. Thank God, it's gonna all come back to them. They're gonna, they're gonna get it. They're gonna understand yeah. what what you've been doing, what how you've been sacrificing, what you've been traveling, doing all this time. It's all gonna come back. But um, you're, you're doing some amazing stuff, which leads me to my next question. Um, you mentioned, you know, your your grandfather. He's such an influence on your life, and he, um, and as you were watching films growing up, I'm just curious to know, like some of the movies and TV shows that you watched that really impacted your life, that really opened up your mind, that made you fall in love with cinema. Um, I'm just curious to know, like, any of those types of movies or shows, things that really made you be like, holy shit, like, oh, I'd love to do that, or I'd love to create that, or I'd love to, you know, be a part of that thing, you know? Okay, so this is going to sound really corny, right? But (laughs) when I was little and we were growing up, my grandfather and I watched two shows together religiously every single day. We would watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and we would watch the Bob Ross show, you know, where he like painted. Like Grandpa was a big PBS fan because it was, I think it was safe, you know, <laughs> for me and him <laughs> to watch it together. So we would watch that every single day. And like, I don't know, obviously those aren't like shot so cinematically. They're not shot so beautifully, but this is the first time I've ever even thought about this question, Taj. So like, kudos to you. But looking back at it now, those shows showed a lot of humanity and they showed a lot of like teachings, you know? And I think in my work right now, the main thing that I always tell everybody is that my grandfather taught me to be a good person. And I just want to make sure that I'm looking out for people when I'm talking about the things that I'm talking about, the things that we're making, you know? And yeah, it's like funny because like a little show about like painting a fucking forest or like or this children's show about being a good neighbor, you know, um, I think has just taught me my morals and like my life. And those things have like allowed me to have this foundation where I'm like, I just want to make things for people like our stories are super important at the end of the day, how we are perceived, how um, we perceive ourselves and like what we want to tell the world is important, right? And I think right. that at the end of everything, for me, just like making things that matter has really become like the point blank period to the things that I'm doing. And also alongside that, those are the two shows we watch religiously every day together. But I grew up watching a lot of Bollywood movies, like constantly watching Bollywood movies. You know, we would watch at least like one or two or three movies like every week. Like it would be a new one because 
the way that India produces and like puts out films is crazy. Like every week there's like six new movies, you know what I mean? Even when I was a kid. <laughs> so we would watch a lot of like Bollywood movies together. And because my grandfather didn't know how to speak English and he spoke English very well. He came up when like the British were occupying like India, which is like a whole other story. But um, we would watch like one American movie together a week, but like it wouldn't be as many as Indian movies we were watching a week. Um, so I had this like vision in my head growing up that like all movies were musicals you know because like bollywood <laughs> movies are musicals and are. um yeah and i think that's why i love music videos a lot right now too is because i get to recreate portions of bollywood movies into like these three minute clips um but yeah those were the kind of like movies that were like being constantly watched in my household and that started i think me on this train of like you know learning that's about awesome. filmmaking to that now you're also a photographer and you worked with everybody from Dave East, of course, Megan Thee Stallion, Billie Eilish. Um, Billie Eilish. Yeah. Eilish. I, yeah, was, I, 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 always I tell him every time, Eilish, 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 Eilish. Eilish. It's okay. <laughs> that sounds better. It looks I know. Eilish. better. Eilish. I'm Jamia Kanya. Eilish. You know, I want Eilish. <laughs> um, so your photography. Now, what came first? Did you did you pick up that camera or the other camera? Like, what came first in terms of, of 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 artistry? So I would say the photography came from a place of not being able to afford a video camera. Right, like growing up, I didn't have money. My family didn't have extra money to spend. Like we were allowed to go shopping twice a year for clothing. Like you know, at the beginning of the school season and at the beginning of the summer. Like there was never extra money like laying around. So. I was like super interested in this. I had been since I was literally born um, and I wanted to make movies and I knew I wanted to make movies, but the only thing that at the time that was laying around in our house was just a camera. My uncle had like this like point and shoot. That's how it kind of started. Where it was mm -hmm. like, I asked him if I could have it and he was like, you could borrow it, but remember that developing film costs money. So don't just take pictures of things that you don't want to just be taking pictures of. I would get one roll of this like 35 millimeter film, like inside of this like point and shoot. And he'd be like, you have to make this last a month. You know what I mean? So wow. I remember being in like the seventh or eighth grade and I would like use that camera and I would take photos of just random things. It started out with like taking photos of my family, taking photos of my friends, just going outside, like taking photos of random things. Um, and then after that, I would, I was like in eighth grade and my parents for Christmas gifted me a small handheld Sony camera, like the ones where you flip open yeah, and it was like a camcorder. video camera. Yeah, a camcorder. <laughs> and that was, I was on like cloud 15, you know, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, I got a film camera. I wrote a script. I had all my friends in school like being this like little horror movie that I had created where Sick. I like killed killed off my friends one by one, but I started with the white people dying first, and then the, <laughs> <laughs> the black people and the brown people actually survived the film at the end. Hey, um, you flipped the narrative. <laughs> yeah. I was like fourteen years old, and I was like, "Why do we all die first? And all of us had the same sentiment, you know. And I was like, "We're gonna survive." So I created this like little film that ended up being like 20 minutes long and it was crud. Like it was cr stupid, <laughs> so bad, like badly filmed, like badly scripted, badly. My, my friends were not good actors, like, you know what I mean? But it was like <laughs> something we did on the weekend, like something that gave us, you know, like some fun shit to do. And so I would say that like when I was in college, I was getting opportunities to take more photos because at the time, Again, like I saved up a whole bunch of my money from working after school and over the weekends and during like college, I bought myself my first like Canon. It was like the Mark III. Yeah. What were you studying? Yeah, I was, I was studying in Temple University in Philly um, and I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to go to college, but my parents were not taking no for an answer. Mm -hmm. They were like, you're, you're not going to be a filmmaker. Like literally out of their mouth, they're like, you're not going to be a director. It's not happening. So as this way to kind of get back at them i applied to every single school as a different major so i applied to nyu as law i applied to like the university of maryland as like science i applied to temple as um a communications um and media studies major mm -hmm. I, I applied to like three other schools as like just different majors and with my like 
at the time I thought it was shit look, but shit luck, but obviously it was a good luck. I got into every single school, like every single one. They were like, so pick, like, where are you going? <laughs> she backfired. <laughs> yeah. And I was really good at school. I won't lie. I was super good at school, but um, I'm glad now that I was pushed to go to school. I went to Temple because they gave me the most money. I was like, where do I go? So I don't have to pay for school out of my ass. Cause I don't even want to go to school. So I went to Temple because it was convenient. It was close to New York. They gave me the most money, but like, I wouldn't change it. I would have, I'm not saying that school helped my career, but school did help me gain this self of like this sense of self-confidence. It helped me gain a lot of independence. It helped me gain vision and structure. You know, it was like, I put myself through school while interning um, at like different film production houses and making connections, going back and forth between Philly and New York every single week. So I think that was like super important for me. And it gave me a sense of community more so than anything else. I finally like gained a sense of awareness and who I was like, you know, um, confidence in myself while going to school. Cause I did find a group of people that really protected me and raised me. And I felt so unseen growing up that like finally school gave me this like sense of purpose. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the question was before well, that. We're, you're like, you're saying you bought the Mark, the Canon, what was it, like 70, 5D, yeah. Mark three. Yeah. I bought the Mark three. And then from there, I started shooting and I started shooting on my camera stills. And then my first like job out of college in the industry was at a magazine, complex magazine slash media. Um, I was interning there right after I moved back to America from London. I spent six months in London going to school while working as an intern at a film production house, which is where like I think I gained a lot of my principles when it comes to production. I learned right. a lot while I was out there. And I think I have a little bit of a different understanding of film and like the way that people work than when I f- came back to America. Cause they just do things differently out there. Like we, what, like in America, they say you like live to work or work to live. What's the right saying? <laughs> but like in London, you they do the opposite in America. Yeah. In America, we live to work. I know. Sorry, we we work to live. Yeah, live to work. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? We work way too much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We don't have work-life balance. We don't have structure. We just be dying while working. But in London, they do it differently. (laughs) They're like every every hour. They're like, anybody want some tea? You know, they get up and they like take a break, (laughs) and they have weekends and they have like evenings. So you came back to the U.S. um, working at Complex. Yeah. I started interning at Complex when I was still in school. Mm-hmm. I was doing a thing where I was like stacking classes. So I was taking like 18 credits within like two days. And then the rest of the time I'd be in New York just like working. Wow. Um, and Monday and Tuesday, I would take my classes. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I would intern in New York um, at Complex, which was in my junior year of college. And I left there, obviously continued finishing off school. A couple months after I graduated, I get a call from my former boss who was like my boss while I was an intern. And he was like, yo, like, Kaj, do you want a job? And at the time I was like, fuck yeah, I want a job. Like, you know what I mean? I was so (laughs) excited um, because what Taj, you said earlier, it was like, I was the first person in my family to do this. I didn't go to film school. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I was going to be a director. I just didn't know how to get there yet, you know? So when he called me, Xavier is his name. He literally was one of my guiding forces in the industry. He like was like, yo, take this job. I hear you. You want to be a director, like just prove yourself for a couple months. And then when I got there, he had so much trust in me. I proved myself for a couple of weeks before he was like, all right, you're about to direct your first thing for the channel, you know, because we were working specifically for the music channel, Pigeons and Planes. And he was like, okay, direct this thing. And then after directing this one thing, it ended up like six, seven months into me working there, me directing every single thing that existed on the channel. Wow. Um, so what was your what was your first piece? My first piece, damn. Okay, it wasn't my first piece, but one of my first pieces directing while at Complex was a documentary for Billie Eilish. So it was like the Who Is Billie Eilish documentary. That was probably mm-hmm. like eight months into me working there. So it was like one of my bigger long form pieces. Um, And before that, it was like two camera interviews. You know what I mean? It was like little things with green screen backgrounds. Um, But the Billie Eilish documentary was probably 
one of my first like bigger longer style works and it was like that was me probably like a year into my directing career while I was like you know so it was a big opportunity for me at the time she hadn't blown up yet the editor-in-chief there his name is Jacob Moore again like beautiful person he was like Kaj like she's gonna blow up I could feel it he has this like inkling for every artist that like blows up he's like I know that she's gonna be somebody so we spent the day with Billie Eilish at her house with her mom and her dad and our crew and her brother chill as fuck such a nice girl and you know um after that film came out I got a lot of like recognition for it people were like this is really good and I was surprised at myself because at that time I was like a fresh 22 fresh 22 something like that and Mm -hmm. I was like um oh like shit like I can actually make things (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) I could do this (laughs) yeah and it was like this just like me being a complex and I went from being like a junior director to directing every single thing on the channel like being like the head director or whatever I was there for a year and a half um I owe a lot to Xavier and Jacob and I left because I was like I sat down with Jacob and I was like hey I love you you've become like family to me but there is nothing more I can do here like I hope you respect that fact and he was like go like do your thing go like you know, he gave me the confidence to be like, just leave. Like, he's like, you're meant for a lot more. Like, you need to go. And I took a lot of my contacts that I made while I was there, mostly in the music industry. I left and then I started cold emailing people. I was like, hey, I'm a freelance director and photographer now if you need anything. <laughs> Slowly started getting emails back. Then that same Xavier who was at Complex with me, he had moved over to a label. He started putting me onto some work, like music videos and da 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 And from there, it's been just like blessing after blessing, you know, and it's just been a really beautiful journey of just like people that are connected to each other that really believe in the kid. They were like, yo, you want to try this out? We know you've never done this before, but listen, (laughs) you know, I feel like Taj is like the same way where like we connected. You're like, I know you haven't tried this before, but we go and try it together, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I always say all the time, right? It's like. All it t- all it takes is one person to believe. Yeah, yeah. And and you're blessed that Jacob was that guy, um, from the start of that, you know, that chapter of your life coming into the game, especially being young, coming from school when you're, you know how it is, like that pressure too, right? You get out of school, like fuck, man, like parents are now, like the clock is ticking. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Your yes. degree? What are you doing? You're still young as hell. I don't know why you make it seem like you're not young as hell. But you're still young as hell. <laughs> fucking rocking it and rolling it and using your amazing gift to tell great stories, which I want to speak to um, because, you know, kudos to Dean. Now, mind you, I I heard of this piece, um, Protecting Women of Color, and I saw it on the feeds. I saw it all the time. And I it saw pieces it, of it. It was everywhere. It was a moment, yeah. man. It was a moment. And literally, this is coming out of the situation just, there was an uprising on so many rights for so many different causes. And you came in at this time with your godly gift to, to come up with this piece with uh, Megan and the New York Times. Um, can you speak to that, man? Because when, when, when Dean actually sat me down, it was like, yo, this is the director who did this piece. I was like, wow. I was just so blown away by the, the the powerful messaging and the imagery and the um, and the color, um, the beautiful colors, the different shapes, the different cultures, the different races, it was such a beautiful piece of work, and, and so, I just pa- want to so powerful, so powerful. So just curious to know, like how how did that come about? How did you how did the messaging come about? And yeah, just talk to us about that. Well, first of all, shout out Dean for seeing it. <laughs> Thank you for putting it on the Taj and introducing me. Like, I I'm appreciate sure, that. You know, I'm sure you were getting hit up by a, a lot of people when that piece come out, came out. So I don't want to take yeah. too much credit, but, you know, it's... Uh, no, but yeah. listen, this is how you connected the dots with all of us. So I appreciate that. And that's love. You know, every time somebody recognizes the work, it feels like I've done something right. So wh- how that piece kind of came about was... First and foremost, that piece was the first job I took out of quarantine. I was sitting in my lonely ass apartment from March all the way up until August. And that is the first job I stepped outside of the crib for. And it was something that I had to, 
leave quarantine for. I was scared as shit. I was like, I hope I don't get COVID. Um, like, but I was like, this is not something I can miss. Basically, how that piece came about was, like I mentioned, I have a lot of angels, man, in this industry. I have my grandfather. And I'll get back to that because I have been wanting to say that because I do owe him something. But I was in a, like, a little bit of a darker space during quarantine. And I get a phone call. And it is from Reina. And Reina is the label rep for Megan from 300. And Reina calls me. And, you know, Reina is one of those people that's really looked out for me in the industry as well. She's had me sit down in her office. She's asked me what I've wanted to do. She's listened to me. And after listening to me, a couple months later, she called me. And she said, hey, Megan has been through this incident. And instead of, instead of addressing it directly, she wants to make this piece that concentrates on all women of color because all of us have been made to feel like we are not worthy, have made to feel like we are less than, have been mo- made mockeries out of, you know, have had our voices silenced. And the pain that we go through has been made to feel like it's so much, it's not, it's not important. Mm-hmm. The pain that we feel is not important. And basically what happened is, she calls me and she was like, Megan wants to make this piece. Mm -hmm. And are you able to create something that, you know, addresses all of the people of color that we know that we are? Let's just talk about the fact that we just don't feel like we are important. Mm -hmm. We don't feel like we deserve to be here. We don't deserve the space when Mm -hmm. we so much do. And I sat down and I wrote this piece. Um, I wrote it about, you know, all different women of color. And Megan had given me some tidbits. She was like, okay, I want it to be about women of color. I want it to be about protecting us. I want it to be about like why we're important. So can you take all of the pain that you've ever felt and put it in this piece and talk about why motherfuckers need to shut down, like sit down and listen to us, you mm-hmm. know? And so I wrote it. I wrote it. And at first I was like, okay, this kind of sounds like she wants it to be a PSA. And when I presented her the voiceover, she was like, she calls me and we're talking. She's like, Kajal, I love what you wrote here, but it's a little PG. Can you take everything that you've ever felt (laughs) being a brown woman? And can you let them know why the fuck it's time for them to listen to us? Mm -hmm. And she was like, you could curse, you could scream, you could say whatever you need to say. Everything that you've ever felt in your entire life, I need you to unleash it into this piece. And I was like, say less. (laughs) Now I have no restrictions. Now I have no boundaries. I'm taking creative writing classes. I write in a journal. All right, you want me to rap? I'm about to rap. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I sat down and I recreated it. I wrote it. And everything that I've ever felt the smallness that I felt within myself, the lack of like, you know, value that I found in myself. The amount of times that people have told me, shut up, sit down, you're not important. We don't need to listen to you. Your feelings don't matter. Fuck you. I put that into the piece and I wrote it again. And I wrote the voiceover that now exists in the piece and I showed it to her. And she was like, this is what the fuck I'm talking about. Yes, you did it. <laughs> and after that, it was just a community effort, man. Like it was me reaching out to all of my homies in New York. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, will you p- produce this for me? Hey, will you AD this for me? Hey, da-da-da. it was a small man crew. It was all of the people that I had started out with, mm-hmm. you know, all of my homies in New York, like shout out to them. My boy, he's my DP, like one of my boys, he pulled up with his camera or like, you know, and he was like, let's do this Kaj, like, you know, and most of the piece was created by women of color. Um, aside from like two people that were men, everybody else was women of color. We made this, we were on the streets of New York for three days straight, literally in a little, my little car. And then a little like rental car, just we're driving from uptown all the way downtown into Brooklyn, like into the Bronx, in Harlem, in Manhattan, calling our friends, putting out a casting call on Instagram. Yo, like anybody who's ever felt any woman of color has ever felt like you've been like antagonized. You've been like, you know, teared down, like, please just let us come and film you. I was pulling up to people's houses like for three days straight, just filming them, filming them, filming them. And like I said, it was a community effort. It was like labor of love. It was tears and it was laughter Mm -hmm. and it was sadness and happiness and anger and everything was put into the piece. And on the third and final day, I actually, actually that's a lie. On the second day I pulled up to Megan. I shot Megan's part. 
in her hotel room, you know, she was going through a lot during that time too, but she had this like incredible strength with her. She like shines, first of all, she's a very beautiful human being. She has a lot of light to her. We sat down, you know, she and I did the voiceover together with our sound, um, our sound op. She, our sound op was in the room with her and Megan and I, it was just the three of us. Megan is saying the words. And after that, we like filmed her in front of the camera. And, you know, after that, she was like, Kaj, can you film one more day for me? And let's capture more people. I want you to put in like a trans person in there. Or I want you to put in like, da, 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 da. like, she was like, put yourself in it. I was like, I'm not putting myself in it. She was like, put yourself in it. Aren't you a woman of color? Aren't you beautiful? Shouldn't you be heard? And shouldn't you be seen? And I was like, ah. <laughs> and she wow. was like, no, no, no. Put yourself in it. So like the next and final day, I put myself in it, got a whole bunch more people. And then we got the piece that we did. It took months and months and months of editing, you know. Shout out to my other Brazilian woman, Ma Faraz, my editor, because she and I went through it together for the next three months. It took us three months. Wait, wait, didn't you guys just, sorry for cutting you off, but didn't you guys just get a nomination? Yeah, we got a nomination at the Clio Awards for the edit for this video. So Congrats. Shout big, out to big, Ma. big, big thing. <laughs> yes. Um, but we sat through this edit together for three months and it came out and it was the way that it was. And, you know, initially it was just presented to me that we were going to put it on Megan's Instagram. And then the New York Times ended up picking it up and then it got into New York Times put it out. And then Megan, alongside it, wrote this entire essay that she penned and, you know, they lived together and they went out into the world and man, the amount of love that I just received from putting that piece out, I had never been hit up this many times. I have never been told like, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for doing this for us. Like, da -da -da -da. like you know, the amount of like love that I received for this like piece, pure love that I re received for this piece was like, I cried a lot. I'll just put it that way. I cried so <laughs> much after making this. Um, Cause it was, something that was needed. I feel like we were in a place in the world, in America, where there were so much traumatic, like tragedies that were happening. You know, the Black Lives Matter movements, the situation happened with Megan herself, like constantly like protesting because of all the shit that's going on. Like we were all hurt, you know? And I think that if I wasn't in that space of hurting the way that I was, I don't know if this piece would have been what it is. Because I wrote no. this while crying and going through the shit that I was going through. Yeah. And and that's and again, kudos to you and your team for making such a um moving, emotional, powerful piece, man, because um as you know, the best art comes from pain. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you really tapped into that in such a way where I don't it doesn't matter what walk of life you are, what age you are, you felt that peace and that's when I was like, I need to meet you mm -hmm. because I was like, how the hell <laughs> how's this, 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 this person channeled so much energy into this piece and telling a story that speaks to, it was, it's a, it's, it was an anthem. It was like a rally cry, you mm -hmm. know, like hear us, see us, feel us. Mm -hmm. And it was so unapologetic. It was so raw. It was like, fuck you. And when I met you, you're, and you still are, you're so sweet and you're so um, kind, but the fact that you could drum up that, that, that type of emotion and, 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 and display it in your work in a way where it pierced through everything. What, what was it like um, seeing it in the times and having like, you know, that, that article that Megan wrote was mm -hmm. like, like my parents, you know, read it. It's <laughs> like everybody, yeah. it had a really, really wide reach. Um, what was it like having your work on such a large platform? Growing up, my grandfather owned newsstands in New York City. And every single time we had to go to one of his newsstands, which was like a couple of times a week, we would pass the New York Times building. And the New York Times building is loud. It's in your face. It's literally on one of the busiest fucking avenues, you know, in New York City. And it has like New York Times like written across it and I remember when we were walking I don't know why but when I was a kid I was like I'm gonna do something that ends up at the New York Times like, you know what I mean mm -hmm. every time we'd walk past it and when the New York Times went and picked it up everything like we were talking about just a full circle moment you know I cried a lot the one thing about me is I, I'm a crier but it's like a lot of like sad tears and a lot of like happy tears. So when I get overwhelmed with like emotion, I cry. Um, and I remember just seeing 
in the New York Times. And I felt so overwhelmingly happy because manifestation is a thing, right? I was talking about this when I was a little kid. I was like, I'm going to have something be there. And now it's there. I think there's a little bit of a little bit of somberness still to my joy. Cause I really do wish that I got to experience all of these things with my grandfather. Cause we had talked about these things together. I had seen all of these things while I was with him and, you know, I wish he was here to experience it with me. But the thing that I was trying to say earlier is that like, I don't know what it is. And I know this sounds a little bit strange, but ever since my grandfather has passed away, everything for me has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Every opportunity is bigger. Every single like job that I've gotten has been more meaningful. Everything, every person that I've met has been like so pure and intentional for me in terms of like the closeness of the people that I, the like the closeness of the people that I've created within my circle. You know, I think him passing away, he's like up there next to God and he's like her, we got to take care of her or else she's about to go crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because it was crazy. Cause my grandfather passed away in July, right? Like in the beginning of the month, we found out he had cancer at the end of the month. He passed away. It was really quick. Mm-hmm. And right before he passed away, I went to go stay with him for like two weeks or more than two weeks, I believe. And he told me to leave. He was like, go. And I was like, no, I'm like staying here. He told me to leave. And when I left, I went to go do my first ever like music video that I directed. It was a music video and it was like with cool artists, you know. Um, And when I finished that music video, I was only supposed to be gone for two days. I finished the music video on day one. On day two, my grandpa passed away. Mm. And then I came back. And when I came back, I was like devastated. I was like, I shouldn't have gone. I shouldn't have done this because I left for two days and he passed away. And then every single last person in my family was like, he told you to leave because he probably knew this is like what was about to happen. He didn't want you to be here. He didn't want you to see him in that way on his last day. And, you know, that was just the start to the stuff that's like been so monumental in my career. Like I was crying, like grieving my grandfather. And I think I still am to this day, but like, he's presented me with so many things and God has presented me with so many things, you know, since that day that it's like, I know that his hand is how like has been in everything. Like there's no coincidence to that shit. You know what I mean? Cause like, yeah. then like three months later I get my first job with Nike and it's like three campaigns with Nike, not one. Then like six months later I get hit up about this ne- Megan thing. And then, you know what I mean? And then now like the work has been nonstop and then I meet Taj, like, you know what I mean? Like this stuff isn't just a coincidence. Like, his biggest dream for me was he was like, I can't wait for the day that I come and I sit on a film set with you. Hmm. And unfortunately, by the time I made it in my career, like he had already passed away, right? Like I wasn't able to bring him yet. And I do this thing. And like, I learned about it recently in the past couple months where a director's chair is always out, but I don't sit down in it. Mm -hmm. Because his dream was to come to set and sit on a director's chair and like watch the monitor. So the chair is always out and I never sit on it. And I'm like, that's his chair. You know what I mean? Like that's there for him. And when I'm shooting, I just feel this like very spiritual thing happening in my body. I suffer with anxiety. I suffer with depression, but when I'm on a set, like those feelings are gone. You know, I feel very protected. I feel very loved. I feel very seen. I feel very heard. And I'm just very, very blessed to be living the life that like he dreamed for the both of us. But yeah. You're going to make us cry. Sorry. No, I get a little sad. don't be sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It, and it kind of reminds me of Megan's story too, a bit um, with her mom and, you know, her mom being her manager and, and passing and then Megan becoming, you know, one of the biggest artists on the planet. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a very special thing, man. And like you said, it's, this is a part of the journey. Um, it's a part of it. And, and, like I said, seeing you, how you have, how you continue to grow, how you continue evolving, and there was, and, and since we're speaking about your work, um, you know, you just recently um, collaborated with um, probably everyone's top five, one of the top five MCs ever to do it. Um, it goes by a little name of Nas <laughs> um, from Queensbridge, God's son, <laughs> and I remember you mentioned to me. That yo, I just did this thing, you know, it's gonna be coming out soon, and 
you're very, you know, you're very uh, quiet and, you know, and, 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 and low key about it respectfully. Um, but when it came close to that release and then you mentioned to me that you did a thing for Hennessy, I was like, oh, okay, this is gonna be interesting. Cause I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, is this just like, okay, a rapper in front of a bodega holding up liquor or is he at a party <laughs> or some shit? But um, this piece you did called Dear Destiny, mm-hmm. it was so beautiful. And you captured Nas in his element, right? Mm-hmm. I, always, I always looked at Nas as a prophet. Um, I always looked at Nas as a teacher and... And a, and a poet, and and the way you captured this piece was so beautiful, and it's so soulful. Um, just can you talk to that? Talk to us about Dare Destiny, how that all came about, the collaboration, and just the whole process of working with Nas. You know, a, a living legend, and to tell his story in such a way that was compelling, and artistic, and 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 just. Uh, just masterful. Yes. So one thing I could say about this industry is either people don't trust me at all or they trust me way too much. And this is the (laughs) trust me way too much um, part. So the same people that I worked with on my Nike pieces, the creative director hit me up and it's uninterrupted slash spring Hill, which is like LeBron James company. And they were like, Kaj, we have this piece and we think you would be really cool for it. What do you think? So there was already a writer on the piece. Shout out Rado. He's amazing. He's a black man. He's a writer. You know, he does his thing. And he had penned this Dear Destiny script already. And they wanted it to be kind of like, you know, a manifesto to, or not a manifesto, excuse me, um, a narrative uplifting black entrepreneurs and paying tribute to Black Wall Street. So that I was given the script, you know, I did a little bit of finessing to it respectfully with Rado. And after that, I just sat down and kept rereading it over and over and over again. And then I was like, guys, can I write whatever I want to write visually to this piece? And they were like, go for it. They gave me obviously like a few pointers. And I sat down and I write like handwrite everything first, like before I type it up or any of that. So I wrote down things that I was seeing while the piece was happening, you know. Um, And I came back to them with the treatment and I was like, okay, so we're talking about Black Wall Street. So can we like paint all of the black people that we currently have? Because the entrepreneurs in this piece specifically are actual real life entrepreneurs. You know, they're black entrepreneurs down in the South, out West, you know, um, throughout America, basically. And I was like, instead of just capturing them in their element, can we build the sets for them and then put them in these like huge couture looks? And they were like, cool, great, do it put them in these gowns, put them in these suits, da, 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 da. great. All right, um, can we add a little bit more narrative into it? Can I have this like black woman running through a field, like in this dress and throughout like a farm with a bunch of oranges? Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, do it. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, it was just after that, I was like, all right, it seems like they're trusting. So I wrote down everything that I saw in there. And then once I presented it to them, you know, um, they were like, yo, this is it. Um, and then even before the job got awarded to me, the creative director had me on a call with Hennessy and I like presented it to Hennessy. And you know, when I present treatments, I get really nervous because it's, it's like being in front of the class, like I'm presenting your project and I'm just not good at it. Like I'm not good at doing PowerPoints because I get nervous. I'm like, who's going <laughs> to judge me? Are they going to throw fucking paper balls at me? Like I'm not like, you know, it's just like <laughs> as like loud as I am and as confident as I am when I'm directing, like presenting to me has always been a, like a, my fingers are shaking, I'm sweating situation. So, you know, I'm over there, I'm presenting to everybody at Hennessy and they're like, they're like to my, I was surprised because they were like, this is it. Like, this is it. Like, go do it. And, you know, it was crazy because not once did they mention putting the product in it. <laughs> I was wow. actually like, hey guys, I can put the bottle in front of Nas when he's sitting at the table, like I can, and they're like, okay, cool. And I was like, what? Like, you know what I mean? So I went and then I shot this thing that we shot over like two days in LA and we found this like really beautiful property. And again, I did it with family, people that I really love and care about a whole crew of just like people of color, like women, you know, a couple white men in there, but allies definitely. Um, And like the spaces that we, I like to create on set is like definitely of that like diversity inclusion. Like, you know, all of us should be allowed to create and especially like 
putting as many black people too on the set as I possibly could because we're playing tribute to black people in this piece. Like, you know what I mean? Like we need to have that be mirrored directly behind the camera too. Um, and so we created this again. It was something that went, a lot of love went into it. And when I met Nas, when it was like his turn for me to do his shots and his voiceover, I had creative directed a piece for him like a couple, a long time, like a couple months prior, probably like six, seven months before. And when I saw him, First of all, my name is not easy to pronounce. It's not a recognizable name. It's not a name people remember like that, you know? He was like, Kajal, right? And I was like, ah! Like, <laughs> I was like, what? Like, hmm. I was like, Nas, Nas, you remember my name? What? And then um, I do this thing where I just get like all the people I work with to like sign something from the set. So I was like, would you mind signing this like Hennessy bottle for me? He's like, yes, Kajal, K-A-J-A-L, right? And I was like, what? And he knows how to spell it? Like, who, who am I? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was so overwhelmed. I like started tearing up and he was like, it was like a really cool thing he said to me after the fact he was like i like your energy man you really doing this and i was like did Nas just say that to me like what like you know and i was just like blown away like my mind is like crazy but you know it came about it took us a couple months in post and it did what it did and then the last and final call that i received for this piece was that was like overwhelming like beautiful surprising news where they were like kajal Hennessy loves this piece so much that they wanted to go on the NAACP awards where it's going to be premiered. And originally they wanted like a one minute spot. Now they want a two minute spot because they don't know what to shave down. And I was like, say less. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the piece premiered where it did. Um, Nas was on the stage presenting his award to a black woman who's an entrepreneur. And then after the words, the piece came and that was the first time ever I saw my piece on TV. And I was like, holy shit like you know it was just like i was like hey uncle can you dvr this guy i'll have dvr (laughs) (laughs) and he did but yeah that's what happened and that's where where it landed my ting my ting my ting so um i have we we have two two more questions okay that we always like to ask our guest and the first question is what rituals do you practice to to recharge your creativity, right? I'm not sure if it's meditation, if it's reading a book, if it's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. Like, w- what do you do to recharge? What's what's your ritual that gets you into that space? Yeah. I don't know if it's a ritual, but I do tell myself one thing, and I remind myself this every single day. Um, it's like, Kajal, you do not know everything, and you never will. That's it, right? Like, you constantly are in the space where you're a student, you have to learn, you have to listen to people, you have to read more, you have to watch more, you have to do what you need to do in order to make sure that you're constantly absorbing new information and you're constantly learning new things. Um, I think like the moment that people start to get complacent is when the work gets a little boring or you know that we're not showing up for ourselves and we're not doing justice to the things that we're putting out into the world. Um, I don't have really any specific rituals. I do this thing where I obviously pray. <laughs> I pray a lot. I pray every night. I thank God. I thank my grandfather. And I think just remaining thankful is like something that's been really helpful for me because I'm thankful for what I have now. And I'm always thankful for what's to come later, you know? Mm. Um, but also praying keeps me present. And it's like acknowledging, I think in our industry, we constantly like on to the next. And I huge, hugely like, want to try to get out of that mentality where it's like, what's next? Like, I can't even absorb this before I'm thinking about the next thing. And I think another ritual is just like, not a ritual again, just like something else I like to do for myself. is just like sit down, like just like once a month, you know, sit down for once a month and turn that motherfucking phone on. Cause you know, it'd be blowing up every single day, um, taking a second from the computer mm-hmm. and just like grounding yourself and reminding myself, like, why am I here and what am I doing? And what's, the next thing that I wanted to be doing, not in terms of like, who's the next project I want to be working on with or the company or but Mm. it's like, what is the next message that I want to put out to the world, you know, or like, how can I make my messaging even stronger? And for me, at the end of the day, it's always about humanity. And it's always about our people. And like, Taj, you mentioned the fact that like, you know, that connected to being a black father when like, I had not even thought of that until right now, you know, and the fact that like, you're saying it touched you because of that, like, that means a lot to me because it's like I'm happy that the work that I'm making, people are perceiving it in the way that they want to perceive it and it means something to them and they define what it means to them, you know? And like, 
I don't know. I feel like I just I just have to keep myself in check and make sure I stay a good person. I think that's the one thing that I do constantly is like, don't let this shit get to your head because it can be taken away from you any second. But mm. also don't let this shit get to your head because we're not out here saving lives. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not curing cancer. We're not doing all that stuff. Like, we're just making things so that it's make for me it's like i'm making things so it makes somebody's day a little bit easier like i watch this and it's like oh okay i feel good for like these five minutes that i watched whatever i watched you know but can i say but can i say something though kajal i I, I was with you to you and to that last point um i truly believe art does save lives um it saved mine um i feel you on that i feel like making the art saves the life no i definitely because to me it's like if you think about what art does, right, on so many yeah. levels. Again, art is art is subjective, and people take it the way they take it, right? Right. Um, but for me, um, when I went through a three year depression, mm-hmm. um, I listened to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a lot of movies that That's put me true. in a happy place. Um, again, um, I had a, a troubled um, upbringing in terms where I had a a father that I didn't really connect with, so. Seeing that Dear Destiny's piece made me feel like, wow, I'm doing something right. Mm. Um, so it was some form of therapy. Yeah. Um, and and even now, look, look at the world we're living in. There's a reason why um, streaming subscriptions have gone up like 300% because, true. because people need an escape. People want to mm-hmm. watch Mandalorian <laughs> and their favorite movies and why albums are getting played a lot more these days because mm-hmm. that's how, we use art as a form of escape and for many it does save lives man it's the reason why you see when the covid struck when that that uh, uh opera singer was singing on the balcony because the music was yeah. healing their souls and so yes yeah. are we are we first first responders no but at the same time um art does um, heal the soul. Art does. Um, it, it cures pain, and it also gives us an out just to entertain us, to distract us from our sometimes yes. fucked up reality. Yeah. Um. And 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 I feel like that's why I'm so blessed doing what I do because outside of making great art, when you make work that goes out to the world and really shifts culture and impacts lives, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing, man. And. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way when you're talking about watching Bollywood films. There was something that brought, it brought you some form of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And even now when you watch it, I bet you it still brings it back to that place where you had those good moments with your grandfather, where yeah. those those moments of connectivity, you know? For sure. So that's all it is. I just want to just make that point. But, no, um, you're completely right. You're completely right. Yes. And which leads me to my very last question. Mm-hmm. Um. What's 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 the last dope music video or short film or short form content piece you've seen? Damn, Taj, you know I don't like these questions because it's like singling one thing out. Oh, um. or 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 put out several, or you know, you know, whatever, 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 whatever hits you, man. I feel like I'm just okay. Okay, ready? This is gonna sound. It's a little bit longer form, and this is gonna sound like completely random ass wild because I just watched this yesterday, mm. but. I, okay, have you guys seen the documentary The Year the Earth Changed? No. I j- just watched it yesterday, and it's about how us going into lockdown for one year has affected the animals and nature for the past year, and how they're mm. thriving because human beings aren't fucking things up for them, <laughs> and <laughs> how endangered like animals have gone like from being endangered to now like producing like overly producing and like having children so like that was like something that's really been stuck in my mind because i was like what can i do like after the world returns to the sense of like normalcy that i can still contribute to like making this world a better place you know um but that like is something i watched yesterday and it's like still ringing in my head that's like that's all i can think of right now to be completely honest no that's That's dope man and 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 for us, that's the point of this conversation, right? It's all about information sharing, um, watching something that's really moved you. And and it doesn't, I, and my whole thing too, it's like, it doesn't matter if it came out yesterday or if it's old. Mm-hmm. Like great art is great art. Great art is timeless. And we always like to share information with our viewers 
so they understand like or actually what well, viewers is different maybe you should say listeners <laughs> right dean because <laughs> we're only audio mm-hmm. um, they, get, they get the point <laughs> they get the point you get the point you, you know. get the point viewers <laughs> get the point viewers and listeners or whatever you are out there i just want to say to you kajal um it's funny because when we were talking, you're like, oh my gosh, Taj, you know, you interviewed so many cool people. Like, why, why me? Why me? Why me? And it's like, why not you? Um, you are an incredible talent. Um, oh. You are an uh, incredible artist. And understand, like, you have been given this beautiful gift of storytelling. And I'm grateful that we've crossed paths. I'm grateful to be working with you now. And yeah. to be, and to be working working towards your next chapter because um, for what you've done in the spaces that you have the shit that you've done has been so amazing and I can't wait to see the Kajal movie and I'm dead I'm dead ass serious about that story about your father and your mother meeting that shit's too hard yo that is some love story <laughs> shit that's like that's some notebook shit man like that's mm-hmm. some beautiful. That's some beautiful filmmaking right there, man. You need to, we need to talk about that, out, you know, offline, but that's a <laughs> beautiful story about two immigrants coming to America and how they, how they came together, how they found love to create this brilliant person by the name of Kajal. So I just Hi. wanted to say um, from, you know, from us, from Dean and I, from the architect family, thank you for sharing your amazing story. Um, it's inspiring. And it's 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 what's needed. I always joke around saying black and brown, let's get down. But yeah. um, especially coming from um, from you know being of Indian Indian descent and and speaking your stories and truth, you're not only inspiration, you know, to you know to Indian people, but to all people and all all nationalities and all people of color and all women as well too. So. Um, thank you from the depths of our heart and we really appreciate you. We can't wait to see the next chapter for you unfold. And there's only more blessings to come, more greatness to come as you continue kicking ass and taking fucking names. Cause y'all done oh. what Let them gonna say, okay? That was an outro if I've ever heard one, okay? <laughs> but I appreciate the both of y'all. Thank you so much like for even allowing me into the space to be able to share and tell my story you know i have never done one of these before and um just you guys seeing something in me to bring me here just makes me feel like seen and i appreciate y'all for it thank you no thank you we we got the exclusive here so (laughs) heard it here first on architects (laughs) yeah (laughs) and there you have it thank you kajal for sharing your um insightful deep stories and uh man i'm telling you man that story about your parents you need to make a love story you need to make a movie about their about their coming together it's too good let's figure that out okay that the world needs to see that movie and to that i'd like to now recommend to my people here another dope piece of content to check out now this one's gonna be a music video okay um now this video was was uh, recommended to me by a really good friend of mine. Her name is Val. Uh, she's from Toronto, now lives in LA. Uh, her nickname is Val is my pal, and she introduced this video to X and I. And it is Urasi Urasi, take it easy, okay? Urasi Urasi, take it easy. And man, like this guy is incredible. The song is hard as hell. It's it's old school. This video must have came out like 80s or something. But man, this this artist is like the Indian Michael Jackson, probably in my top five of dancers of all times um, in this space. Um, this guy is incredible. Okay, like he could, even though Michael Jackson is a king, but this guy could give him a run for his money. He's he's incredible. Uh, but yeah, check it out. Now, if you liked this episode, feel free to give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, okay? And as always, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ArchitectsPod. And always feel free to message us and let us know if there's, if there's you know, someone that you want us to listen to, we'll check it out, okay? We'll check them out and see if this we can make this happen for y'all, all right? Peace. <laughs>